The Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Pajamas are the most comfortable thing in the world. You got to stay. I mean, this is my life for the last two years. Bottom down is none of your business. (laughs) (laughs) You just haven't broken out of the pandemic mode fashion wear. There is no need. Ain't none of your business. (laughs) Oh my God. This is a a different Sheva than from before. Ain't none of your business. It's salt and pepper stuff. Well, what's up here is your business. Is my business. Is is your business. What's down here ain't none of your business. I got to see your dating profile at some point. <laughs> Talk about business. Again, that's how we met. That's true. That's true. All right. That's so, how you met. That's cute. It is. It is. We met it's, our, it's our cute meet. Yes. It is. It's it's actually a wonderful way, I think, of, to have gotten this podcast started. But yeah, we met on a dating app uh, and said, why don't we be podcast hosts rather than go out? And I think that's worked so well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so why don't we get into this? Let's introduce our guest, Deborah Newbern. Uh, and uh, let me just, l- l- let's read your profile, right? Let's tell everyone uh, who we're dealing with here. Uh, Deborah Newburn's career as a Jewish leader, particularly in Jewish environmental education, spans more than 35 years, including 24 years as director of Camp Tawanga, four years as Hazon's Bay Area director, and serving on the founding boards of Wilderness Torah and Bay, Kojal, the Coalition for Jews and the Environment. Deborah is the recipient of the prestigious Covenant Award, her groundbreaking work is co-author of Spirit and Nature, Teaching Judaism and Ecology on the Trail, paved the way for numerous Jewish outdoor programs for children, including the Teva Learning Center. Most recently, Deborah co-founded Svara's Queer Talmud Camp and worked with Keshet to create a curriculum that helps Jewish summer camps be welcoming and inclusive of gender non-conforming campers and staff. Deborah has served as the faculty of many Jewish professional fellowships, currently for Hineni, a Jewish leadership training for LGBTQ folks. Her recent project also includes creating Spirit and Nature podcasts with Sarah Lefton and Divorce and Discovery, a Jewish healing retreat, which is going to be the focus of our conversation as well as the holidays coming up. But that's offered in partnership with Camp Dewanga to be launched in October 2022. Before entering the Jewish nonprofit world, Deborah was a National Park Service Ranger. That's very, very cool, by the way. She lives in <laughs> Berkeley with her wife, Rabbi Sue Reinold, PhD. Between them, they have four 20-something-year-old children and a beloved doodle dog. Deborah, that's it. it's wonderful to have you. I, I also that's it. Share. Yeah, that's it. That's what that, I thought. That's also. just it. That's it. Basically. Is that it, Noam? There's nothing I else? I think that's it. Say? Yeah, I mean... Uh, well, here's what I do want to add. I had the wonderful pleasure of meeting Deborah when I was working and still working for the Pluralistic Rabbinical Seminary as a teacher. And believe it or not, I was her teacher um, in my theology class, and I'm sure she could have taught it as well. So it's some of, of a humbling experience for me. But this is wonderful to, you know, be colleagues with someone now who is once your student, um, which is something, you know, you get to enjoy as a rabbinical student as well. You get to share their wisdom and be part of their lives. And, and so that's where we're at right now. And it's great to have you here, Deborah. Thanks for joining us at the ungodly hour of 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And let me just say, I should have given you a shorter bio. Forgive me for, <laughs> you know, Don't I should have given, sent it. you the short one. Don't but, worry um, about it. No, it's, it's wonderful. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, 
Deborah, from what I understand, you have taken a lot of your expertise expertise and are is now you are now um, focusing that in the divorce world, doing some a lot of work within the divorce world. And I think you have a retreat coming up. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the programming and also why you shifted and are focusing your energies in this population. What what speaks to you? Let's also add, okay. by the way, that this is like the first of its kind, right? There haven't been any other divorce or discovery retreats. I mean, that's the specific title, but nobody else has done anything like this now. So that's why this is also really important. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's why I think I got the invitation to be on your podcast is to talk about divorce. I will say it's not, it's not the focus of all of my work and I, and I've been gigging for a long time. Um, and I still, you know, now with a new, brand new rabbinic degree, there's a few other projects I'm working on, but this is so near and dear to my heart. And it's right in my sweet spot because I know how to start camps. I know how to run camps. And um, I had such a painful divorce. Not not everyone does, but I had a, a painful divorce uh, 16 years ago. And there was nothing in the Jewish world to respond to my feeling. The rabbi at the synagogue, first of all, I was married to a rabbi and the rabbi at that's it. So I'm about to lose my shul and for extended reasons, my children's day school. And so all of a sudden, like kind of my Jewish world fell apart. But I knew a lot of rabbis because my wife had had gone through rabbinic school. And I turned to like probably five of them over the course of the first month and said, how am I going to get through this? And how can Judaism help me? And they were like, yeah good question. Like not so much. And I, I was really dumbfounded. A friend, a friend, of, a friend of mine sent me to a, a kind of a grief retreat that was completely secular, helpful, but secular. I turned to exercise. Um, I got massages because, you know, people need to be touched. Um, I but I, uh, but I, uh, but there, but seriously, the get is not a spiritual experience it's a legal experience and and you have enough legal drama as you're trying to divorce in some cases again so this camp is is kind of the the why of this camp is i've healed from that really hard first year for me it was just really one year that was incredibly hard and then things got better but i've healed from that and i and i thought wow divorce uh judaism like in the 21st century should have a better response to divorcing people who are connected to the Jewish community some way or another, it doesn't have to be a synagogue, but but somehow connected to the Jewish community. And so I thought, you know, we could innovate a bunch of rituals and traditions that hopefully if we're successful, it's not just this retreat, but that synagogues around the country, I would, if I'm, if we're successful and, and we're a team and Noam's on our faculty, um, uh, if we're successful, I think it'll take about three years for us to iterate and make it really excellent. I think it'll be really great right off the bat. And I can already see, I've already, um, we have, we have 48 people enrolled. I think we'll get 10 more people in the next month and, and um, month and a half, maybe, maybe more. So we're kind of drawing the line around 60 people for a first time effort, which I think is phenomenal. Um, but if, if we're successful, I think that synagogues around the country will have a divorce of Dalla once a month where the community members in that community who are divorced will know this is the Havdalah to come to because we're going to we're going to talk about this stuff and we're going to give you a special blessing or we're going to say special words that will help you. So that's kind of the why. Amazing. So what's the goal, if you can sum it up, of the retreat? What would you love participants to walk away with after being on the retreat? 
Yeah, great. So the um, the goals I would say is that I hope participants first and foremost they feel connected to other folks going through what they're going through, so they feel less isolated. I hope they've had fun, that they've been in a gorgeous spot in nature, 160 acres on the middle fork of the Tuolumne outside Yosemite National Park, so that there's just like, just the healing of being in that space. And then I think that we've experimented and offered enough Jewish rituals around divorce and addressed divorce through a Jewish lens enough times over the three days we'll be together that people will say, wow, Judaism has ways for me to respond to this experience of rupture of something I thought was going to last forever and isn't. I've had to make a complete sea change in my life, whether I chose the divorce because I'm relieved to be out of this marriage or whether I feel like I did not choose the divorce, my spouse chose it and I'm hurt from this decision. Either way, I hope people come away feeling there's legitimate Jewish responses to getting through something that has broken in your life and, and helps you feel more whole or connected to God or connected to your community. It's so important to have um, a space where all that stuff can begin, which is why I think this retreat is so important. You're right, Deborah, that the GET, the G-E-T-T, which we've often talked about on this podcast, right, isn't enough, right? It might dissolve the marriage, legally speaking, and from a traditional standpoint, open the person up to another marriage in the future if that's something they choose to go with. Um, but it's a one-time thing, and it's not really spiritual at all. It's pretty dry and just Jewishly legalistic. So having an environment in which you can spiritually explore what you're going through is important, and then take that out to the rest of the year, right, or however many years follow that, like through their Jewish community, as you said, with the Havdalah, is also really crucial because it is a transformational process that goes on a much longer path than just a weekend, right? So it's got to take a little bit more time. There have got to be other resources out there. And that's a number one theme that I think we addressed very early on in this podcast is that there's how, how so little opportunities there are out there for Jewish spiritual exploration within the world of divorce. And the funny thing is, is that we talk about separation in the Jewish community all the time, right? Yeah. We talk about it when it comes to Havdalah, right? Another theme that we're repeating already in this episode, right? The separating from Shabbat going into the rest of the week. When it comes to the new year, which we'll discuss shortly, the idea of separating ourselves out from the patterns that we have, right, developed over the course of this past year going towards a new one. When we get to Passover, Right, which is in some ways like another kind of Rosh Hashanah in the sense that like we are separating ourselves out from Egypt, right? Going to be free people from an enslaved mm. people. And so mm. this idea of separation is not new to us, but what is new to us is how we approach it and how we sanctify it and how we make it a spiritually meaningful experience when it doesn't come to those three specific things, but does come to something like divorce, which is a major separation. And I talked about this on another podcast, which isn't something that's really welcome in the Jewish community. Sure, that you have to divorce because you just have to move on with your life in different ways. It changes. But that doesn't mean that we're necessarily prepared to handle everything that people go through in that whole process. Right. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree. And I feel like, and I think that maybe this is happening on the West Coast. And with all respect to my friends and colleagues on the East Coast who work in the Jewish world, that I think my wife likes to say, on the West Coast, the queers are out and the Jews are in the closet. And on the East Coast, the Jews are out and the queers are in the closet. Mm. But 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 for us, I think one of the things that we we get to do is we get to not feel so attached to tradition. And we can take 
the tradition and say, wow, that that's so helpful in this way. Maybe it could be helpful in this way too. And we can think maybe outside of the limits of how we always use Tashlich on New Year's. I don't know if that's where you're going with um, Rosh Hashanah, but Tashlich is, is a ceremony where you cast off the things you don't want to carry into the new year. And usually for, I grew up throwing breadcrumbs into the sea. Now I think as environmentalists, we're saying, okay, let's not put bread all over our rivers and our oceans, but let's put little pebbles in that you find in the area. But the idea that I'm going to throw something into the water that I don't want to carry forward in into the new year. Well, we're going to have a community Tashlik where we we have a river running through the property. And, and I think in Judaism, they have a real, a real connection to Mayim Haim, something called living waters. And that's what you need for a mikvah, for a ritual bath. Probably you need it for Tashlich too. But the idea that um, we're going to cast off this part of something about our life that we don't want to carry forward or something about our emotions, like we don't want to carry bitterness forward. We don't want to carry resentments forward. We don't want to carry um, our anger forward or our guilt forward. Um, and so can we do some kind of ritual that will help people feel like, let's cast it off together in community. And is this retreat for people at various stages of divorce, post-divorce? Are there any boundaries yeah. around that? Or it's up to people to decide, maybe people who aren't even divorced yet. Do, do you have any? Yeah, it's a very good question. We don't even have people needing to have been legally married, right? So I, certainly I come from this from a queer perspective where I couldn't get legally married for a very long time. Um, but the idea that if you've been in a significant relationship and you want to come to this camp, you can come in. Actually, our only limitation is when people register, we ask them for the name of their ex-spouse or their ex-partner so that we don't register both of them. And we make that clear in all the literature, like um, this is not for, for you to work on your marriage or for you to come together. And this is for you by yourself. And next year, your spouse can come. We'll, we'll do that. We'll, 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 it's not that we're attached to you in particular, but, but we don't, this, we don't want you there. We, we want you to have the freedom to not be in that space. So that's the only thing that we've done. And there was one couple where, um, the, the wife had signed up and um, I think her husband wanted to come and she thought, you know what? I think he needs this more than I do. So she withdrew oh, wow. and he registered. So that was powerful. But yeah, it's to answer your question. I have, we have like a few people who have been divorced. Like, I don't know, one was like 15 years and one was, I don't know, seven or eight years. And they both had felt like they had kind of made peace with their divorce, but they hadn't made peace through a Jewish lens. And so mm -hmm. those two people are coming specifically because this is a Jewish experience. And then we do have people, I think, who haven't legally divorced yet. One of our faculty members is in that category. And that's another interesting thing. We'll see if this is necessary or not, but I, I was pretty committed to putting people in the front of the house, the leaders of the retreat, so Noam and me, and actually my current wife, but who also went through a divorce, um, Everybody who's on the faculty, and I think that's nine of us who are the lead faculty people, um, have had a divorce. And so I've had I had a couple of people on, um, who who wrote to me, either locally or around the country, who said I'd love to come. And and for the people who were married, I said, look, I don't want you to be on this faculty, and I hope you never have to join this faculty. Um, but but 
I I have found in at least the queer spaces I've been in where we're going on a queer retreat for some whatever reason it is, whether it's Queer Tomwood Camp or I also started this LGBT family weekend at our camp 24 years ago. Not everyone's queer for sure, for sure. But the more front of house people you can have who reflect the population who's attending, the more they feel like, oh, you get it. You get what I've been through and you you went through it yourself. And and we all have our own stories for sure. But there's something I think comforting in knowing that there's not a bunch of, you know, married rabbis and Jewish educators at the front of house, but it's people who know what it was like. That's what's also that relatability. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's important about an an A, right? You don't need to be a rabbi or can or even Jewish professional, right? To be at the front of the house, but you do need to be someone who's got the wisdom involved, right? That's what's really important here. Um, because we all go through our own unique experience when it comes through divorce. My experience is different from Sheva's, which is different from yours, right? Which is different from everyone else's. And so simply creating an an atmosphere where everyone can find, where water can find its own level is what's really crucial here. Um, And to go through it uniquely, I think, is what's really important. I'm curious, Deborah. you know, when we've been talking about putting this together, right, I approached it from um, helping with the men's programming involved. Um, you know, and as the registration has gone on, right, I think we've seen a higher skew towards female participation. And I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think that is? Why do you think it is that fewer men, right, have decided to participate in this with the exception to that, that one example that you gave of, yeah. the, you know, the wife who said, no, no, my husband needs this more than I do. Yeah. Why do I think that? It's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I see in almost every Jewish Aside from the family weekends at Tawanga, even even hiring staff, I uh, we'd have like three women for every girl counselor position and right. one or two men for every men counselor position. So why do I think that? I think um, I think divorces probably happen equally to men as they happen to women, but I think the way that women access their emotional life and their you know come want to come to community. I think we're, I think it's like a bigger cultural question of why do men behave the way they do and why do women behave the way they do? And I think for a large extent, um, women are acculturate, acculturated to share their emotions, to come together, to find other people who are going through what they're going through. And I think men are more isolated. Um, so that might be the reason. Um, I don't think it's true anymore that it's men who initiate the divorces and they're not hurting as much as the women. But I think that might have been how we skewed our thinking 20 years ago or 10 years ago. I don't know. Did you give any thought, sorry, to to, um, making it uh, one gender at that? What would the mixed environment in a healing environment post-divorce, would it add any complications to the process? Uh, You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, I've had my friends joke around and say, well, there's going to be a lot of hooking up at your divorce camp. I'm like, I don't think Uh so. I really don't think so. But um, I I really appreciate Noam's um, coming in and offering to have some men's space, because I think particularly in this camp with with more women in the in the enrollment, the men who are there will, I think, appreciate time with Noam and time to be together with all men. But I do think that the experience of divorce, which what I think it's like 54% of us go through now, it's, it's, um, there are some universal, there's some universal issues that we have to face, even if not everyone has kids, but for certainly the ones who are having kids and trying to figure out how to do this and keep their kids emotional health at mind or, um, 
the financial breakup. Like even if you wanted the divorce or didn't want the divorce, you have to deal with all of a sudden you're much more poor than you were <laughs> when you were married or, you know, all, all those kinds of things that it's going to be universal. And I don't, I don't think it'll be so gendered in those, in those instances. There, there's so many universal things that happen in divorce having absolutely nothing to do with your gender. Like you said, finances and kids, and then also yeah. just how transformational the whole thing can be for you as an individual and whether or not you're willing to make meaning out of that and give it some type of purpose. Uh, that's got to be crucial to anyone who participates and, and anyone I think who goes through divorce. What are you most looking forward to? You know, you talked about Tashlich as being, you know, a favorite ritual of yours. But when you think about this whole retreat, What's something that you're personally really looking forward to uh, during it? I will answer that. And then I want to come back to gender for one second. But sure. um, I think I think the idea of, of being together in community with divorced people, just that, just to be in space together, I'm very excited for that. I'm very excited for people to, I want people to show up however they're feeling, like, if they're feeling broken or if they're feeling relieved, whatever, whatever it is that they're coming with. But I want them to feel like hopeful that they're in community, that um, they can laugh together and have fun together. Um, I'm excited for all the parts, but I am excited. Um, maybe I'm excited for the Chavruta groups. When people come there, you know, I, I've been running and, 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 and help put down the family camp model at Camp Tawanga, which they run seven family camps uh, in the off season. So starting with Memorial Day, then all the camp weeks, then there's the Keshet LGBTQ family camp, then there's like a Jews of color family week. There, there's a lot of cohorts. And then there's just, you know, a straight white family camp. No, no, not white, but straight family camp. And even queers and Jews of color show up at all of the family camps. Right. Um, but in this camp, you're not coming with your spouse, you're coming alone. And, and a few people I think are coming with friends and we're now starting to set up this whole carpool database so I can see that people might drive up together and, and COVID gave us pause about that, you know, getting people in the same car. But anyway, we have all these COVID protocols so folks won't come up hopefully infected. But long story short, I think the coming up is very brave and courageous involves Omet's love, courage, a strong heart. And when you get there, like who's gonna be your friends and who's gonna be your touch base because you don't have your partner anymore. And so the Havruta group where you're in in a group with six to seven others facilitated by someone like Noam or me or one of the other faculty members, and you get to have some serious conversation with people who know exactly what you're going through, and you're not burning out your friends or your family members. And you're talking about people who really care about this because it, it's mattering to them too. I, I'm excited for what happens in those uh, Havara groups actually. But back to gender, this is what yeah. I wanted to say yeah. because it is Camp Tawanga. And we did start, we had the first Jewish LGBT family weekend in the country. And then the New York Times covered Tawanga about three years ago when they went to um, all gender cabins. So in addition to regular camp, there's like regu- regular kind of, boys cabins, girls cabins, there's an all gender cap, couple of all gender cabins where kids who are gender non-conforming or just feel like, you know, I got to try on something different this summer, they can choose to be in that. And so we also are going to have an elective mikva and one of our faculty members is a trans man. And um, so no one's going to take the men to the mikva. I'm going to take the women to the mikva and, and our faculty member, Joe Singer is going to take uh, gender non-conforming folks to the mikva. And I think we have a couple. So 
what I want to say about that is, I think when you, I think, uh, you know, uh, you said something about water, the rising tide floats all boats. I think we have to be, when we start to like serve our com particular communities, I want to be as welcoming to all people. So whatever your gender is, whatever your race is, is even if you're not Jewish, and I think I did have a call from somebody who had been married to a Jew, but felt this would be helpful to them. Oh, wow. Did she, did she have to be Jewish to come to camp? I said, no, you don't. You just have mm. to want to be in Jewish space and have Jewish healing. That's that's the requirement. So I'd like to zoom in a little bit more if possible on your personal experience and divorce. And because you mentioned that part of the impetus and drive to create this space was that it wasn't available for you. So what was helpful for you in figuring out your own healing path? And also maybe what wasn't helpful? What's maybe a route you wish you hadn't taken? And taken. Mm. Yes, oh, that's such a good question. Okay. So my ex was a very public figure at the biggest synagogue we have here in the Bay Area. And I was so hurt and kind of taken aback and the situation was complicated. And I had such a big mouth about it. And it served me, it served me and it didn't serve me. It served me because I had no secrets. And so you couldn't get, you couldn't get to me in any way because that, even though I felt shame at the end of my marriage, and shame that she wanted out of the marriage. Um, I, I felt like oh my, the only way I can deal with this is to talk about it. And I, re I regret that in, in some circumstances that, that it probably wasn't that smart of me or strategic for me to blabber on about it. So that was, that's probably my biggest regret. And, and I regret for my children, um, that I would say in the first three months, and this is after being I was already a camp director for 15 years by the time I had kids, which means that I had a lot of experience working with other people's kids. But, you know, everybody knows this when you work with your own kids, your, you know, your, your ability and your perspective kind of goes out the window. But I would say those first couple of, um, sorry about the barking dog. Don't worry about it. Our last okay. guest had her kid climb on her head during the show. So <laughs> we're used to this stuff. It's okay. Um, but, but, um, there, there were, there were moments in front of my kids where I just couldn't keep, I, like I, they just saw that I was like incredibly broken. And so I, I remember at least the one, the one thing I was able to say to them is I am so sad about this, but I promise you that I will get through it. I promise you, you will get through it. I know we will, but right now I'm really sad and I got to feel these feelings. So that was, that was kind of the best thing I could do for my kids, but it wasn't great to feel so, to be so broken in front of them. Um, and then what was your part two, Sheva, about that question? Well, it was the opposite. It was what did you find helpful what, if there were no resources or not yeah. the resources you were looking for? Yeah. Well, I don't know about your marriages, but as mine was like kind of coming towards and then I did not have very much physical contact. So I mentioned massage. That was like amazing. And I worked at the JCC and we had this whole like down in the gym. There was this whole like little spa section where there were people who gave massages and because I was a staff member of the JCC for that for briefly. That's a nice I got, I, I, got, I got a staff discount. I know it's a nice JCC. And I met this really sweetheart of a guy who gave me a weekly massage for about, I don't know, three months. And that was so incredibly helpful. Now, here's the thing. Like, I don't usually get massages because I don't like, you know, I, I don't, I didn't have, I was not Jewish, not for profit professional. Like I just didn't have like 
massage money in the bank, but I thought like, okay, this is like <laughs> mental health money. So rabbis have I mean, discretionary funds. They don't have massage funds. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that was helpful. And, um, you know, there's this Jewish teaching that says when, um, somebody is in a lot of pain and you go to visit the sick or the, the, the emotionally sick, physically sick, you take away one sixtieth of their pain. And I thought, and, and I really, and I had learned that before at my, my divorce. And I remember thinking, okay, I, I got to talk to about, I have to have, like spread this out between all my friends because nobody's going to be able to like take all this grief from me. Um, what surprised me is that I, ha I, ha I had a lot of friends. I'm extremely extroverted and social. Most camp directors you meet will be extroverts. Um, and, um, I've, and, but there was like one friend I had, and she's going to be on the faculty who actually came to sleep over with me a couple of times. And, and I had had sleepovers with friends a lot, it's totally non-sexual sleepovers. Um, but at that point, I just was like, people got on my nerves. I didn't want to be around them in my bed, uh, you know? So I never, I didn't have anybody come over except for this one friend. And she's, she was a very comforting friend. And she just like, we didn't even really, it was just her presence was nice. and so. I had a couple of sleepovers that was sweet because you know you go from like going to bed every night with the same person and all of a sudden your bed's empty right so that was yeah. a big that was a big thing so those were those were helpful but jewishly nothing there was nothing so i didn't do one jewish thing that was helpful you add in the kids elements there you know and one thing that's acutely obvious to me is that when they're with my ex right and we have a 50 50 custody schedule right not only is the bed empty but the house is empty and right. That, you know, that's a double edged sword. Right. I mean, there's yeah. the peace and quiet, which is beautiful. I can go to the bathroom and not be disturbed for five minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, it's a very quiet house at night. It really is. That's right. Um, that's right. That was that was horrible. In the beginning, that was really the worst, too, because I was like, man, I did not have kids to only live half their lives with them. Right. Um, yeah. And then and then I hooked up with uh, Sue and I met, we had known each other, but we actually got together a year, a year after my divorce. Um, and <clears throat> then all of a sudden having no kids half the week was like, Oh my God, like we got on the same custody <laughs> schedule and <clears throat> we were either single parents, which was its own. There were some challenges and some beautiful things about that, but then we were empty nesters early on, you know, like we, we actually kind of had this like empty nest and we had friends who one friend in particular said, Man, maybe I should get a divorce because you guys are having so much fun. Right? <laughs> you get to you get to go to movies and restaurants and all the things that you can't do when you have little kids at yeah. home just at the spur of the moment. You have to plan everything all the time, right? Yeah. Well, I wonder if we could pivot for just a second because here we are on the cusp of the high holidays, right? And we've introduced that theme earlier on. And one of the things that you're trying to work on, and I don't want to pivot away entirely sure. from the retreat, but I wonder if we could use it to workshop something, which is to say, we're coming up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot, the, the high holiday Super Bowl season for us, right? How can divorced individuals, divorced Jews, or anyone who's Jewishly adjacent, like you said, enjoys Jewish spaces or Jewish community, or Jewish culture, yeah. or Jewish spirituality, right? How can we, you know, really use this time as being really meaningful, right? There is Tashlich, which, which we're going to do at the retreat. Right. Um, even outside of Rosh Hashanah, it's still a powerful experience. Right. But if there was a Jew going through divorce now, right, it started a couple months ago or they're fully divorced and this is their second year in it, whatever, or even 10 years into it. 
how can they use the High Holidays? And let's start with Rosh Hashanah as an opportunity to really honor that. What do you think that they can do? Let's spitball some things. Let's throw some stuff up on yeah. the wall and see what sticks. The first thing that occurs to me is the holiday dinner, right? So especially in the beginning, if you've had the minhag, if you've had a tradition of, okay, we go to this family's house on Rosh Hashanah for dinner, um, or we invite these people over, um, and, and break the fast for me was the big one. Like, where the where the F do I go for break the fast? Because my ex got invited to like all the, you know, kind of the fancy congregants. Yeah, the and I'm talking house. about like the senator's house. And, you know, where do I go now? Because my kids want to go to those parties because they're off the hook. And yeah. um, off so the hook, I break think, fast. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know what? I have this friend. She's wonderful, brilliant. And she's a funder in the community. That's why I met her. And um, and she knew all the, these artists and she has a Kugel throwdown as a break the fast. And it's a Kugel contest. And and there are three categories. There's like the creative category. Eating or, or making? Because who can well, eat it the best way? No, no. Who can bring the best Kugel? You get <laughs> voted on. And it was like, up. what's that? What kind of kugel are you eating, Sheva, when it's about how you I don't want to know. I just want to know if there's preferred methods of... Didn't you talk about how to eat a cupcake on here once, Noam? So maybe there Fair is enough. a preferred okay. method of kugel. Fair <laughs> enough, sure. No. So this this kugel contest was who made the most creative one, who made the best sweet one, and who made the best savory one. And, oh, my God, all of a sudden, like, after two years of feeling like a wet dog, not invited in to anybody's, like, break the fast. And I do have family here. My folks, of course, would always invite me. But, you know, um, this, this what this, like, was a game changer. And then all of a sudden, the kids want to come to break the fast with us because it was way fun and cool. And you voted. And, and then, of course, Stephanie Rapp's friends are, like, artists. So. The, one of the guys who ran the Jewish Film Festival for a number of years, the woman who opened the Jewish Contemporary Jewish Museum comes. And so like they made a deconstructed Kugel martini where like they, they had like the, the toasted noodle was like the stirring thing in the martini. Like it was like, it, yeah, so fun. Such a fun, fun, fun. Um, that, was, that was a game changer. Anyway, so I think to answer your question, my first two ideas is, can the congregation or can can folks figure out like, hey, where do we go to celebrate? And can we have like yeah. at the even if, can we have space at the shul for divorced families in particular to come do a break the fast here or a Rosh Hashanah celebration dinner here? One idea. I think what's what might have always been problematic in the past and maybe it's shifted. You, you probably have better awareness of it is that. It is an issue that isn't pervasive in a community. So offering an event for divorced families, how many people are you reaching, right? So when you have a congregant of, let's say, two, 300 people, are you doing an event for five families, six families? I, I imagine the numbers have, have changed over the past few years. And so that conversation can shift. But I think that's probably what's been the problem in the past is that it seemed minimal to community organizers. And, mm -hmm. and have, have you seen that shift? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, we used to run, when I started the LGBT family weekend, I actually started a single parent family camp weekend at Tawanga and it was really successful for five years. But here's the thing, instead of getting two adult fees, when people register, you got one adult fee and it actually didn't, the numbers didn't work out in terms of, we, we ran at a loss on that, on that weekend, even if we filled it up because 
And we had to overstaff it because parents who came with young kids, they just need a break. And so we needed more staff to be on more of the day so parents could, especially if they had two different age kids in the afternoon. In the morning, the kids go off with their bunks and the, with their groups at family camp, and the parents get to choose from adult workshops, including exercise, including Torah study, whatever they want. But in the afternoons, they're in charge of their own kids. And, that's, and that works really well in double parent family camp, because even if you have three or four kids, you can, you know, one parent takes a couple of the older kids and does that thing. And when, you know, but when you have one parent and my kids happen to be four and a half years apart, and, and when they were young, they had really different skill sets and interests. So at a single parent family camp, it would have been that we had more staff in the afternoon. So kids, you know, anyway, so that whole, the whole economics of that family weekend did not work out and we were highly subsidizing it. And eventually the powers that be the board of directors decided we should not run that family camp. And people were really sad after that. So that answers your question about like the, the finances, need. but the need is there. And I totally ascribe to the open space conference principles, which is whoever shows up is the right people. Whatever happens is the right thing. However long it lasts is how long it should last. And I think number counting is not the right way to go all the time. And I think sometimes if it's five families and it's powerful for them, that's a huge service for them. And maybe the more, most important way you can use your, you know, your community room, then, then filling it up with happy coupled families who already can go somewhere else. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think the numbers question is the right one in this case. It's also, true. during the high holidays, you know, a lot of synagogues will have family programming or children's programming because the kids don't want to sit through the services, right? They, they're just right. too antsy. They have too much spilkis. Right. And, you know, look, that's something that I'm doing for the high holidays. I'm running youth programming at a synagogue. Um, but I also imagine it's easier for um, a married couple to go to services Right. And for one parent to be like, you know, look, I don't really want to be here right now. Let me go handle the kids and watch what they're doing and be with them. But as a single parent, that's not really an easy thing to do. Right. Especially right. if you want to get your own, you know, joy or meaning out of the high holidays and you want to stay in the adult service. Right. right. To have some place for the kids to go where, you know, they'll be safe, you know, they'll be held and they'll also get something useful out of the high holidays. It's it's really important. Right. And so putting together whatever you can that will watch the children or take care of them, I would think is really crucial to the experience of everyone involved, not just the married couples. Yes, definitely. I think that's a, a great point. And, you know, no, there are times when in 50 50 custody, you, you are saying, like, okay, this is fair for me. I, you know, I have my kids this, this amount of time. My ex has my, the kids this amount of time. But for things like the high holidays and, you know, there I think there's a good question to be asked, like, what do the kids need for themselves? Like, what if you join two different shuls because you live in a big enough town and so yeah. your ex takes one shul and you take another shul? Now do your kids have to go to two different shuls because, oh, it's my year of Rosh Hashanah and, and not your year of Rosh Hashanah? Or do we just say, the kids really love it here at this shul, so they're always going to get to go here because that's right. their need? I think those are some questions that I think divorced couples have to talk about the divorced couples who are engaged in Jewish life. Basic co-parenting questions involved in that. I also yes. wonder I also wonder if if the themes of the high holidays of this idea of chuva, right, of returning to right our better selves, it can also be useful in the process of divorce, right? What is to say that like you make decisions in marriage and you forget who you are or marriage 
you know, inspires you to do one thing, which isn't necessarily authentic to you. Uh, and then divorce also presents this opportunity, right? When you separate out, when you separate out from the marriage, to leave behind old things and to take on new things, or to return to someone who you were prior to marriage. And so I wonder if you know, using the theme of chuva, right, in divorce, which is to say we're going to separate out from you know the life that we did have and return to something that is much more familiar to us, or at the very least, take this opportunity to learn something new in the process, right? Thinking about the hero's journey involved in that, how there is a separation from something that is familiar, going through an ordeal, which I would call divorce, right, and then returning to where we are were in the first place, but different. Mm -hmm. right, um, is really mm -hmm. crucial. And so to use the idea of chuva as a way of saying, A, right, I'm going to leave certain things behind. B, I'm going to take accountability for my role in this whole process, right? I'm going to admit maybe what I've done wrong, right? C, um, learn something new from it, right? What have I really garnered in this whole process of divorce and this whole process of chuva? And how can I use that to really um, or use it as internalized was wisdom, right? And to grow from that and to walk differently in the world as a result mm. um, sounds to me like a pretty powerful mechanism for people mm. to utilize during this period of time. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a real, to consider that as a hero's journey. I love, I love that framing. And I, I do love what, I, I love what you just said. And while you were talking, it made me think I've been spending the last two years doing consulting and working and actually um, answering the helpline at Shalom Bite, which is the Bay Area's response to domestic violence. And we don't have a shelter, but we have a, we have a helpline where um, survivors can call in and, and get advice and connect with lawyers and get money and get help to find a shelter. And um, that was out of my wheelhouse. It was actually during the rabbinic school training that I was in with you, Noam, where um, I took I, I, in order to answer a helpline in California, you have to um, take a 40 hour course on um, and, and pass it to, to understand domestic violence in our, in our society. And it makes me think that, and that in, in percentage wise, some of the people that are coming to our divorce camp now, and we might not know because that's shame within shame, um, is what if your approach, you know, what, A, what if, that's why I'm talking about relief from some of the marriages. Like if you've been in a, in a, in, if you've been in anything that's considered domestic violence, whether it's physical, emotional, financial um, abuse, then finally, finally to get on your own, you feel, you feel relieved. And so the chuva is not the necessarily, I'm sorry for the things I did, but it is still returning to your own power, returning to your own self, returning to mm. your own self-determination. Mm. Um, I think we don't talk about that even in our divorce circles that much because it's so sad and scary and shameful. And, and, you know, as Jews, we don't have alcoholics and we don't have domestic violence, but of course we have all of that in our community. So addiction, I should say. So I think the, um, I think that's something that I also kind of have in the back of my mind for when we're at camp together. And also when you're asking about like, what can the high holidays do for somebody who's come out of that kind of a situation? And I think, I think it still applies to everything you just said about the, the taking a break, having that, having that experience of reflecting on what have I learned? What can I carry forward with me? But how can I also go forward differently than I was when I was married? So as we uh, wrap up here, as we begin to wrap up, Deborah, if you wanted to send a message out to anyone listening to this episode that hasn't yet registered for the Divorce and Discovery Retreat, what do you want to briefly say to them on one foot 
about why they should join us? Well, let's see. I would say register soon if this sounds exciting to you, because I do expect we will fill up with our participants. Um, and I'll tell you where you can do that in a minute. But I think I think what you would get out of it, listener, if you decide to come is I think you would, as I said, you would get a connection to community. You would have kind of the first experience of serious Jewish educators innovating with Jewish tradition to address things that I think are meaningful for everyone going through divorce. So we'll be having a men's group if you're a man with Noam. Um, Noam is also a divorce coach. I don't know if you you share that on this, but, so but you and one of <laughs> we oh really and we have another divorce coach. We have two divorce coaches and a therapist on our faculty. There's going to be um, processing your divorce through the arts if you want to. We're all going to um, we're going to have these like Havara groups. So <clears throat> things that you just feel like I can't talk about with other people, whether it's custody issues, anger issues, addiction issues. Um, the the opening night program is the Divorce Cafe built on like kind of the healing cafe model um, where there's these tables with topics and you can just go and talk about a topic with other people in the room who've been thinking about the topic, who have opinions about the topic and, and the wisdom's right there at the table. It's not like we have expertise at each table, but you are the experts. Anyway, I think the, I think the retreat will empower you We'll give you tools and we'll give you friends. That's that's why I think you should come. Now, do you want me to say how you can find yes, it? Yes, please <laughs> do. Yeah. How can how can they reach you and how can they find the, the yes. divorce retreat? Okay, well, you can reach me at Deborah and it's with an H D E B O R A H at Tawanga.org, which is T-A-W-O-N-G-A.org. Um, you can read all about it on the Tawanga website. So it's Tawanga.org, camp Tawanga.org or Tawanga.org. Um, there's a guy named Ben Simran who um, is the registrar and he's in charge of financial aid. And I raised extra money to have financial aid because you guys know this. And I already alluded to this. When you divorce, all of a sudden your finances change. So if you are feeling like, well, money is a reason you couldn't come, there is significant financial assistance. So you can come because of that. And um, yeah, I would say register sooner rather than later because uh, we're, our, our retreat is October 27th to 30th. And um, while, you know, we had already registered a bunch of people right off the bat, like I think 25 people registered as soon as we opened oh. registration. And now, and now, you know, another another 20 plus folks came. But I do think that people were waiting <clears throat> to see <clears throat> it's not my custody weekend or it is my custody weekend. I got to see if my ex can take my kids that weekend because I want to go. All of those things, I think as the time gets closer, more and more people, and I just see registration in general, always a lot of people register as they get closer to the date. So I would say don't miss out. It sounds unbelievable and incredibly necessary. Um, Thank the, you. The void you're filling. So uh, if you're listening and it appeals to you and you think it might be a good fit, I would say reach out and register. And thank you so much, Deborah, for sharing your wisdom with us. It's been oh. wonderful having you, Deborah. I mean, you've been our teacher during this time. I'm very happy to be your student, to be part of this team going into the divorce retreat. This is a wonderful experience, uh, and it's an honor to have you on this episode. Thank you so much. Yes, thank absolutely. you both. Thank you both for having me, and thanks for having this podcast, Evan. Noam, what a what a wonderful thing you're offering the community. Absolutely. Uh, and friends, if you want to get more of the wonderful thing that we're offering the community, you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook at the Jewish Divorce Project. And Sheva, where can they find us uh, anywhere else online? 
Uh, they can email us, but well, our website, thejewishdivorceproject.com, and you can email us with any questions, um, topics that you'd like, suggestions, feedback at thejewishdivorceproject at gmail.com. Wonderful. Uh, great episode. Thank you so much, Deborah. Friends, have a wonderful, sweet, and healthy, and meaningful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and uh, look, for, for more to, look forward to more episodes coming out soon. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.